Let us now return then to Luke chapter 21. And we want to choose our text there at verse 27. Verse 27. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. We have been looking at this chapter. We looked at it last week. We noticed a couple of things. We noticed that Jesus warned them about deception and he told them about the destruction that was going to come on Jerusalem and their much-loved temple. And we also said that this chapter really says four things, or at least the section from verse 5 to the end really highlights four things. There's some immediate events that were going to happen after the death and the resurrection of Christ. There's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. There's going to be the end of the times of the Gentiles. And ultimately there's going to be the end of the world as we know it at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now although these four things are in uh, this chapter, sometimes they're intermingled and it's not easy to divide these things up. But tonight, friends, we principally want to notice this glorious doctrine, this much despised and we might say neglected doctrine that is found in the New Testament. And it is, of course, the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has calculated this. I don't claim any authority for this, but someone has said Christ's second advent, that's his second coming, is mentioned 318 times in the 210 chapters of the New Testament. That is quite amazing. And therefore, it would tell us that this is no little doctrine. This is not something that's hidden away that we have to seek to find. It's there in the New Testament. And it's a doctrine that's telling us that as the Lord Jesus Christ came some 2,000 years ago, according to the word of God, so he will return again. There will be obviously differences from uh, the first coming to the second coming. But nevertheless, as his first coming is, was an historical fact, so his second coming, when it will come, it will come. We cannot deny it. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I'm sure I have said this before to some persons, but it's true and it's worth reiterating and saying it again. It can well be argued that the last view the world got 
of Jesus Christ was on a cross. And we might say, well, maybe they viewed him being taken down from the cross. And maybe some of them saw him being going into the, the tomb. But the point is, the last view the world got of Jesus Christ was uh, someone who was in a state of humiliation. Now you might well say to me, well, we know about the resurrection. And of course we know about the resurrection. And we believe the resurrection. And we know that people saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he revealed himself on many occasions over a period of 40 days. And then after that, he revealed himself to the Apostle Paul. So we know that people saw him. But no worldling has seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore the last view, the world God of Christ was a view of his humiliation. The next view they're going to get of him will be in his glory. When that will be, we do not know. It's not for us to speculate. But we are to be assured that this will come to pass according to God's perfect plan and timetable. We know that if we speak of this, we have scoffers. We know there are people laugh at this. That's not surprising. The Old Testament church, they didn't really believe that the Messiah was there. When the wise men came and inquired, it didn't in any sense upset the Pharisees and those who knew their scriptures. They looked into it. What did they say? Oh, he'll be born in Bethlehem. It didn't motivate them. It didn't cause them to investigate. It wasn't really something that they believed in at all. And therefore, we should not be surprised that there are scoffers. In fact, we should be encouraged because the Bible tells us that there will be scoffers in the last day. And what the Bible has prophesied has come to pass. There are scoffers in the professing Christian church who will not believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Is it then surprising that there will be scoffers in the world? Of course not. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now we might be inclined to think that's a reference to the world. Well, it may well apply to the world. But that reference these verses apply principally at first to the professing Christian church because Peter's dealing with false teachers in the church. That's what the part of the epistle's about. It's highlighting false teachers. 
And therefore we are to realize that in the latter days, there will be people in the professing church who are scoffers, walking after their own lusts. In other words, living as they please, without any reference to the second coming of Christ. Why? Because they are apostate, and they no longer tolerate or like or love the Lord Jesus or delight in his word. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Is that not what we hear? Where is the promise of his coming? Is it not 2,000 years since he came and left and he hasn't come back again? Is he going to come back again? Where is the promise of his coming? And they go on. For since the fathers fell asleep, in other words, since our fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, we're not going to develop this, but friends, we notice they're talking nonsense. They're talking nonsense because things have changed from the days of creation. Creation has changed from the time that God created the world. The great flood came and changed the world. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and changed the world. Things have not continued from the beginning of creation. God has been active in his creation. And therefore, they are all wrong. Well, I hope, friends, with that introduction, that this has, in some sense, waken us up. That we might realize that this is real. This is going to happen. One day, there will be a generation who will look up and they will see Christ coming in the clouds. Well, first of all, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Let's see, first of all, what it is not. What the second coming is not. You know, some people talk about the second coming as Christ coming at death. Now, the Lord may well come for his people at death. There will, may well be some uh, truth in that and some good divinity in that. But this is not what is required here. This is not what Jesus is talking about, coming to people at their deathbeds. No, it's not that at all. Doesn't Paul say in Philippians Chapter 1, verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Christ wasn't coming for him. He was going to depart to Christ at his death. And Titus tells us, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. It's Christ coming for his people, all of his people. When we will pass into the scene of time, friends, we will depart and be with Christ. That's when it happens at death. But when Christ comes, he will come for all his people on one occasion. And therefore, it is not coming 
to his people at death. Also, we would notice it's not the Lord coming at Pentecost. Some people talk about the second coming of Christ is when he came by his Spirit and when he poured out his Spirit upon the early church on the day of Pentecost. And as someone has said regarding the day of Pentecost, he says, they exchanged his presence for his omnipresence. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost in some way. They had been used to the, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ being with them. But he was taken up into glory. And then after that, according to the promise of the Father, he sent forth his Spirit upon the infant church to enable them to go out and to evangelize and to, fill, or to fulfill the great uh, gospel commission. And therefore, when the Lord Jesus Christ sent his Spirit upon the church at Pentecost, that was not in any sense the second coming of Christ. That was Christ pouring out his Spirit to enable his people to fulfill the commission that he had given them. And many statements about the second coming were made after the day of Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit was dependent upon his departure, not upon his coming again. Others talk about the second coming of Christ as being somewhat linked to what we looked at last week, the destruction of Jerusalem. But we notice, friends, that's a completely different event altogether. It is certainly an event that the Lord Jesus prophesied about, and he prophesied to tell his disciples that they might be warned, that they might take the appropriate action when they saw what was happening, to flee from Jerusalem because it was going to be destroyed. And if they would remain in Jerusalem, they would be caught up in the carnage. And many of the early New Testament Christians heeded the warning of the Lord Jesus. And when they saw the signs happening, they left the vicinity and their lives were saved. So it's none of these things then we might well ask ourselves, what indeed is it? What is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, as our text will tell us, it will be personal. Then shall they see the Son of Man. They will see the one they have rejected. They will see the one that they have despised and disdained, and thought little about. They will see him, and they will see him coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Other gospel records will tell us that he comes in the glory of the Father, and in his own glory, and in the glory of the holy angels. It will be an all-glorious personal appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is hard for us to grasp. We have never seen anything like it. The world will never see anything like it. But it will be real. 
every eye shall see him, the Bible tells us, even those that pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail and mourn because of him, as we are told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It will be a personal appearance. You will not need anyone to tell you he's here or he's there. You will see it. Every eye. Is that not amazing? Is that not beyond what we can grasp with our finite minds? But we're talking about a supernatural event. We're talking about a supernatural God. And the Lord Jesus has revealed this to his disciples in order that we might be encouraged and indeed that we might be prepared for that day. It will be personal. It will be literal. If we go back and if we think about the opening chapter of Acts, what do we find there? We, we find the, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there with his disciples. And he is taken up. And a cloud overshadows him. And they don't see him again. He's taken out of their eyesight completely. And there they are. They're looking up towards heaven. They want to see another glimpse of him. And an angel appears. What are you doing this for? Why are you looking up? In other words, you have work to do. You have a commission. And he goes on to tell them, this same Jesus will return in like manner. As he went up, he will come down. This is what we're meant to understand. It will be a literal coming of Jesus Christ, the risen, glorified, exalted Christ. It will be visible. No one will escape this. You'll not need your TV cameras. You'll not need the media. And we all will be delighted about that. You will see it. It will be visible. Clearly visible. Do not the other gospel accounts talk about the lightning? As the lightning goes from the east to the west... So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you not see the lightning? You see it very, very clearly in the dark night. But is it not true that even in broad daylight you see the lightning? It has that power. It has that visibility. And so it will be with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we are going to rejoice it will be glorious, absolutely glorious. Is it not true? Can we not say that when he came the first time, it was in humiliation? Is that not true? Is that not what marked his coming into this world? Is that not what marked his early life? Is that not what marked out his, his uh, ministry? In some sense, it was all done in a very... In glorious manner. Did we not read earlier on? Did we not read sometime that after he had been preaching and teaching all day, he went to the Mount of Olives? That was his home. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords 
the creator, the one who upholds the universe by his powerful word. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. Did that not mark out the Savior's ministry? Was that not an element in his life? Poor, no possessions, nothing. But when he returns, friends, it will be all glorious. It will be a complete reversal. He will come in the glory of the Father, in the glory of the Son, and in the glory of the holy angels, and he will bring his people with him. And it shall be a day like no other day will ever be. It will be completely and utterly sudden. Yes, he's given us signs, he's given us warnings, but nevertheless, it will take the world by surprise. Did not his first coming do exactly the same? Was the church ready for the coming of the Messiah? It was far from ready. What a state the Jewish church was at the coming of the Messiah. Very few believers. Simeon, Anna and others. But by and large the church was apostate. And they were not ready, they were not expecting this. And so it will be, friends, at the end of the age. He will come like a thief in the night. Does the thief send you a text? Does the thief give you advance warning? No, he comes when you least expect him. He takes an opportunity, he sees an opportunity, and he's in your house. He takes what he wants and he's out before you know it. It's sudden, and so it will be when the Son of Man returns, when the last person is saved, when his church has all been gathered, then he will come. And it will be the end. It will be the end of life as we know it. The end will come. Indeed, that's the title of the sermon. The end will come, and it will come suddenly. Yet we've been warned, and we've been given signs, and we are without excuse, but nevertheless. And he's speaking here to his disciples. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. It'll all be over in a moment, if you like. Does the lightning hang about? It flashes. You see it. It's gone. So it will be with the coming of the Lord Jesus. Sudden and unexpected. We want to ask ourselves then this evening, what about ourselves? Where do we stand? What if Christ returned this evening? Who can tell? Many might say, well, there, there are certain things that have to happen. There are various schools of prophecy. Have they got it right? We don't know. We admire many men who have 
looked into these things and have studied the doctrine of the second coming or eschatology as it's known. What about the various schools? The schools of thought? Where do we stand with these things? Well, we could get confused over these things. Personally, myself, I'm inclined to think that none of the schools have got everything right. I think the very subject of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is clearly revealed to us in Scripture. It will happen. But we don't know all the details. We certainly can't mark out a timeline. And we certainly can't predict dates and times. Of course, that would be foolish. I think there may well be merit in various elements of the schools that we are familiar with. I don't think any one of them has all the answers. But he will come. Suddenly. Decisively. What will be the result of his coming? Well, we did look at this when we passed through Luke chapter 17. Because he deals with that matter there also. We know, friends, that when he comes, the day of grace is over. There's no second chance. There's no opportunity. There's no gospel to proclaim. When he comes, friends, if we, if we are in Christ, we shall be saved. We shall be with him forever. We shall be with him in glory. But... If we're found when he comes not to have him as Lord and Savior, he will be our judge and destroyer. That's the reality of it. That's the urgency of this message. This is why we must, we must close in with Christ while it's still the day of grace, while the gospel is still being proclaimed, and while you are still urged to turn from your sins and turn from your rebellion and seek him while he may be found? What are the signs then of his coming? Well, we find some of these signs, I do believe, in the early part of the chapter. Verse 9, for instance, When you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Many people think that when we see wars and rumors of war, well, that's an indication that he's, he's about to come. But no, friends, the Lord Jesus is telling his disciples, when you see these things, this is not Christ imminently to appear. Matthew's account, he says in Matthew's account, this in Matthew chapter 24 at verses 6 to 8. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The end is not yet. What do we see today? We see wars and rumors of wars. And we might think, oh well, 
Christ is on his way. Well, in some sense, he is on his way, but it's not imminent because... But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. No, friends. He has given us signs. And that is a sign that is not imminent. That's what he says. When ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. And that has been going on since Christ has left the scene of time. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these ye shall lay their, they shall lay their hands on you. He's talking about a great time of persecution. That's a sign. Persecution. Hatred of Christ, of his cause, and of his people. All friends, we really want to say in this matter is that the end will come. And we are to be prepared for that end. And friends, there are some dangers that we are to be aware of. Some practical dangers. And indeed this is something that blights people's interpretation and study of the doctrine of the second coming. Because very often it does not affect them in their life. Very often it does not affect them in their life. It doesn't change their life at all. But the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples and he's warning them about dangers. And with this, I'm going to close. Verse 34, for instance, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, that's overeating and overdrinking, and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. He is telling people, he's telling his disciples that they are not to be so taken up in sometimes the ordinary, ordinary things of life that they forget that one day Christ will return. And very often, friends, people who are taken up with this doctrine, their lives do not reflect any practical application of it. And therefore we are to be assured and we are to be warned. Let us not be involved in overeating or overdrinking and pandering to ourselves as many people do today. With drunkenness, is this not something that blights our community? People live for the weekend, for the Friday and the Saturday night, that they might get drunk and that they might think to enjoy themselves. And he even goes on to talk about the cares of this life.
We all have cares. We all have to consider things. But it's not to be an overwhelming priority. We are to get our priorities right. And we are to make sure that we look forward to that day when Christ will come. Can you say like the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Can you say that honestly? He could. Others could. The day will come when the end will come. We must be found in Christ on that day. Come, therefore. Come. Call upon him. He will receive all who come to him in repentance and faith. Amen.